shall sing glory to the newborn king peace on earth and mercy mild god and sinners reconciled joyful all ye nations rise join the triumph of the skies with the angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as men with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings, riz with healing in His wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Amen. Thank you, folks, for that. Appreciate it. Genesis chapter 1. Everybody get notes out there tonight? Who needs notes? Matthew needs notes. Brother Sid needs notes up in the sound booth. We help these folks out. All right, everybody else is fixed up. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Tonight. And in this session, we're going to be talking about the purpose and nature of humanity. Uh, in a biblical worldview, first we have to know who God is and what His purpose is and what His nature is. And then we can know what we're here for. Uh, we can't know what we're here for until we know what God's here for. And that He is the origin of everything. And so we've talked about that in the last couple of weeks. Tonight, We'll talk about the purpose and nature of humanity. Genesis chapter 1, and let's start in verse number 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for me. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for the foundations of your word. And we know that you said in Psalm 11, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so we pray that you would help us to return to the foundation of a biblical worldview in our hearts. 
and to know what you have for each of us in our lives. Make this a time of application as well as a time of instruction. We ask it in your name. Amen. Well, we live in a world that has not taken God's admonition uh, as seriously as we should about subduing the earth and having dominion and replenishing the earth. And most of that is because of worldviews. And we say in your opening sentence tonight in your notes, most worldviews that are not Bible-based offer the idea that all life forms have the same fundamental purposes, rights, and obligations to each other. And uh, that's why there are people for the protection of animals and, and uh, all the groups and, and uh, places that would paint a picture, and many times do in modern art, society, drama, that an animal is wounded. And we've all, you could pick the animal. It could be a goose. It could be a dolphin. It could be a bear. It could be a Bambi, um, something. The animal, the tiny little animal is wounded and has been hurt by man. And yet, the same people who are going to push that agenda, guess what other agenda they're pushing? Abortion on demand. And, and so, the sanctity of animal life and vegetative life, to them, is equal or even greater than human life. And it's all because we want to have the choice in how we do it. There's big fights all over the country all the time about the sanctity of human life. If you read the papers or you... Uh, check out anything on the internet about what's going on in Texas and some other places right now. Um, and it, be, it comes from worldviews. Now, you may not know the names of any of these other worldviews, but these are some of the worldviews that we fight against every day as, as biblical Christians. Now, one of the main ones is called naturalism. And it, it has two parts. Uh, secular humanism is one big branch, and Marxism is another big branch. And those, both of those ideas make man the center of his universe. And they say that man can become a god or, or that the government has all of the answers. And we know that that's not true um, just from history and from current events. But naturalism says that God doesn't exist and what you see is all there is. So that's naturalism basically comes down to what you see, that's all there is. Now, there are a lot of biblical Christians, and we discussed this in the first couple of weeks, who say, I believe in God, and yeah, we have a Bible, and we know Jesus came, and we know He died for sins. But when it comes down to how they actually live and make decisions and choices in their daily lives, they're naturalists. And it comes down to it, they are secular humanists. And so there are a lot of secular humanist Christians who make decisions based on things like situation ethics, Things like, if it feels good, do it. If I want to do it, I'm going to do it. And that's how a lot of people raise their kids now. Um, they don't set any boundaries for them, and then the kid becomes 9, 10, 11, 12 years old and begins to run the house because the kid says, if I want to do it, I'm going to do it. And mom and dad end up saying, well, okay, we don't want to hurt your feelings and you know, get, get that idea. That's secular humanism. That's all that is, is naturalism. Now, there's an offshoot of naturalism that went kind of morbid, and it's called nihilism. Nihilism is the most depressing and hopeless worldview there could ever be. Here's the main tenet or the main idea of nihilism. There is no existence. So we don't really exist. We are a figment of our own imagination. Okay, so it's not, I think, therefore I am. It's, I think, therefore I'm not. So that's nihilism. And it's, it's strange and it's weird, but there have been a lot of famous people who have espoused nihilism. Another branch or offshoot of, of naturalism is called existentialism. And existentialism um, says you choose your own meaning for life. There's no ultimate meaning, and there's nothing been prescribed to us because we're, we're blobs, we're here by accident, we're mutations of some explosion that happened in a genetic pool. And, and so because of that, you choose your own meaning for life. And then you get to postmodernism. Now, here's the idea of postmodernism. It's a weird idea. Postmodernism, their big main thing is this. 
to deny any traditional worldview. Right? So that's, that's what their idea is. So postmodernism says, if you believe in an absolute, I don't believe in you. If you think that there's an actual fundamental foundational worldview, we're against that. And, but they say this, you can't impose your view on anyone else. Right? So that's postmodernism. So your viewpoint is wrong, but you can't impose your view on anyone else. So it makes perfect sense once again, right? Postmodernism. Then there's pantheism. Now, most of Asia buys into this worldview. And you go into Asia and, and uh, you've got uh, all these major religions of the world, Buddhism, Hinduism, and uh, all of their offshoots, pantheism. Pantheism and a new, the New Age movement are kind of cousins or brothers or sisters, whatever you want to call them. Um, they say that everyone and everything is God. Okay, so that frog has just as much right to be God as you do. And that tree, you know, when it comes right down to it, he's God. And the New Age movement said there's no transcendent God. There's also no evil. And that every individual is a divine being. And, and so there's all these strange worldviews. Now, all six of those unbiblical worldviews that I just kind of threw out there and mentioned to you, they lead people to the understanding that all of the creatures on the earth are equal in value. And that they have equal meaning. And that they all came kind of in a, in a way that they have the same fundamental rights and obligations. Can I just tell you, that is the biggest bunch of hogwash that has ever been. All right? You do not have the same fundamental rights as Bambi. Right? Did you cook the heart? Did you cook the heart? How did it, it turn out? Yeah, he cooked his, was it deer? Cooked his deer heart today. Did, did you, uh, your parents try it? No? <laughs> okay. Um, you know, God says in Genesis 1, you don't just have the right to raise Bambi. You have the right to kill Bambi and eat Bambi. All right? Now, you're supposed to replenish, you're supposed to subdue, you're supposed to do everything the right way, but we have bought into this system, sometimes as Christians, where we allow the world to impose on us their worldviews. And uh, there are large denominations in Christianity, and I could mention a couple, I just, I don't want to, I'm not here to pick on anybody or throw out names. There are large branches or large mainline denominations that are becoming essentially part of the New Age movement. Um, they're combining worldviews with tree huggers and naturalists and all these different ideas and saying, you know what, God put us here to keep the earth green. Actually, when you read the Bible, God put us here to glorify God. That's what he put us here for. Now, he gave us dominion over those things. Now, look, this doesn't mean that you should go light a field on fire if you're a Christian. All right? This doesn't mean that you should go try to hurt our natural resources if you're a Christian. We should do the right thing as citizens. But just because we're doing the right thing does not mean that we have to say, okay, you've got this whacked out crazy idea that's not true, but because we're a Christian, we won't attack your idea. Something like man-made global warming. Right? Could I just go ahead and tell you that God, with one volcano called Krakatoa, put out more pollution in three days than man's ever done in his whole time here? There is no scientific proof of man-made global warming. And there's just none. And uh, by the way, God said that the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. That's the real global warming. It's going to take place. Second uh, Peter 3 talks about it. But if we're not careful, what, what happens is, because we're Christians, we have to allow everybody else's idea to be on the table so that we don't seem mean-spirited. Can I tell you this? They're going to call you mean-spirited anyway. 
You can let them put any idea on the table you want them, that they want to put on the table, and they will still label you as a fundamentalist, right-wing, mean-spirited wacko, if you believe the Bible. And so what you ought to do is just go ahead and have a biblical worldview and maintain it and be strong about it and yet be a compassionate person about the eternal life of others. And, and so we have to be very careful when we get in these situations in a passage like this, in Genesis 1, that we don't water down God's Word to placate the people around us. Do you know most of the people who say that the animals are on the same level as us, they're the people who mock Genesis 1. They're the ones who say that the Genesis record is the most far-fetched imaginary thing that there's ever been. You know, I could probably come up with some other far-fetched ones that I've heard. And I won't go into the details of some of the evolution ideas and some of the ideas of um, some of the religions around the world. But we have to get the, the Bible meaning here of our purpose and nature down. So let's talk first about our purpose. Consider first the purpose of humanity. The purpose of humanity. By the way, if your kids are exposed at all to the modern culture through school or through books or television or whatever they're doing, they are being force-fed unbiblical worldviews every day. The main one that they're being force-fed is secular humanism. And it's just being forced down their throats. And so they need to know what the Bible meaning is here of the purpose of humanity. Go to Deuteronomy 10. And here in, in this part of the Hebrew Scriptures, this talk that Moses gave for 30 days just before they entered into the Promised Land, we find the purpose of humanity given to us. God laid it out. And it's fivefold. Um, we say Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13, this is in your notes, lays out the grand purposes God has given for mankind. So look at verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? We kind of talked about this this morning. Okay, purpose number one. But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, purpose number two, to love him, purpose number three, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, that's purpose number four, to keep the commandments of the Lord and the statutes which I command thee this day for thy good. Purpose number five. That is the grand purpose of humanity. Laid out. Simple. Now, why would anyone say that that's not man's purpose? Because they don't want to obey God. The only reason why somebody would say, that's not true, I don't buy into that, is because they don't want to be under its rules. Now, here's the thing, and you read the Bible and it's so simple. But in Romans, it explains to us that whether we believe those are the rules or not, we will be held accountable to them. So you can say that's not the rule. Okay, officer stops you, sir, do you know how fast you're going? I was going 52. Do you know what the, the sign says? Yeah, the sign says speed limit 35, but I don't believe in the speed limit. I, I don't believe in it. I'm not a citizen of this city. I don't care about your speed limit. I don't believe in your speed limit. How well is that going to work for you? Okay, that argument doesn't hold any water. I'm not accountable because I don't believe in it. So to say, well, I don't believe in the biblical purposes for mankind, it's not going to matter at the day of judgment. Uh, look over at Luke chapter 10. And it, this is in a talk that Jesus was having. And I, I know that you've heard this scripture before. And many times we think that Jesus is the one who quoted this. But actually, this was a lawyer who was speaking to him. And if you look at Luke 10, and verse number 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he's trying to trick Jesus. He said unto him, So Jesus said, What's written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, So this is the lawyer talking. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, 
and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. So Jesus said, Yep, yeah, if you keep all of that totally, you'll live. Here's the deal. Nobody can keep it all. Nobody can keep it all. And so Jesus is willing to go along with him to try to help him to understand. Yeah, if you keep the whole thing, you live. But nobody can keep the whole thing. And so this lawyer got the answer right. In fact, Jesus, in another passage in Matthew 22, says that you could sum up the law and the prophets by two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And yeah, that sums up the entire Old Testament law. So in your notes, we describe it this way. Our motivation is to develop the will to love God with heart, soul, strength, and mind. That is the right motivation. That is the right purpose for why you're here. Now, you're not just here to please yourself. You're here to develop this will to love God the way that He should be loved. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a motivation for this. Go back to Exodus chapter 20. And by the way, if you're a parent, you may still occasionally use this motivation at your house. And your kids may not enjoy it. They may think that there's an alternate motivation that would be better. But tonight I'm going to show you how you can help them with this. To know that there is an alternate motivation. Exodus 20. Exodus 20, God had just given Moses the tablets, and on them were the Ten Commandments, and here's the law, and here's how he finished it up. Look at this, Exodus 20, 20. So you may call this 2020 vision. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, look at this, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Psalm 19, 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So the fear of God is a good thing. And if you fear some other person or some other thing, that's not pure fear. That's not perfect fear. But fearing God in the Old Testament was a good thing. In the New Testament, it's a good thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So in your notes in the Old Testament, the fear of God was to keep them from sinning. Now, that's not the best motivation that there is. And by the way, read the Old Testament. It didn't work. The fear of God, it never continued past one generation in the Old Testament. They kept running from it. And they found other things to fear. They found other things to be all upset about. Just like we do in our generation. When we should be giving reverence to God, we give reverence to other things. Go to John 14, and we see a completely different idea in the New Testament. John 14. Okay? And if you, this is the one that if your kids say, hey, I don't want to be motivated out of fear, mom and dad, then you give them this one. John 14, 15. This is a great verse for parents to quote. If you love me, keep my commandments. Isn't that a simple sentence? If you love me, keep my commandments. Now here's, here's what your kids are going to say to you. They're going to say, you're not God. That's what they're going to say. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, you're not God. Yeah, but God said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's one of his commandments. And so if you love God and you love me, keep my commandments. Now, this is a great motivation. It's the best motivation. By the way, any child who's not keeping that, you will immediately see an attitude issue. And every once in a while, you have to bring a child, I call it, to a point of contention. If we all told our kids yes about everything, life would be easy and we'd ruin our kids by the time they're two. Right? So you have to tell them no sometimes. And when you tell them no, guess what you find out? What their real heart is. 
what their real heart is. Tell them no, and you find out. And we have a baby at our house who is nine months old. And she is learning the word no. And guess what? We found out about him. She doesn't like it. And neither does her big sister and her two big brothers. There's no kid on planet earth who loves the word no when it comes to what they want to do. But you know, if they don't learn that there's a no, when they become adults, they're going to think that God doesn't tell anyone no. And He does. There are some things that are foundational in the Word of God, even in the New Testament, that God says, you better not do this. Better watch out for this. If people say, well, there's no grace in that statement, Pastor, God doesn't make lists. Well, you apparently have not read the whole Bible. God makes a lot of lists. And He tells us what the fruit of the flesh becomes in our lives. And there's a no on that. You read the Bible, you see another word that rhymes with no? Whoa. God says, whoa, hold on there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, and so there are some things related to our human nature that are exposed by the Scripture. Fear is something in the Old Testament. Love is something in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the love of God is what causes us to keep His Word. What, what this passage is saying and what Jesus was saying to His disciples is this. You won't follow me out of duty for very long. You won't follow me out of fear for very long. You won't follow me out of reward for very long. If you're going to follow me for the long haul, you'll follow me out of love. And you know that Jesus' disciples, except for the one who betrayed him, every single one of them experienced torture. And all but one experienced martyrdom. John was boiled in oil and exiled to the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. You tell me that they didn't love him. If they just thought it was their duty, they would have walked away. But they loved him. And you read John 14 and 15, where he's sharing with them what love is. That's why we ought to serve God. It, sometimes we feel like, boy, if I don't go to church, if I don't do this, God's going to be all upset with me. Uh, that's not why we do what we do. We do what we do because we love our Savior. And I hope you get that into context. That's the purpose of humanity. That's why we're here. Look at 1 John chapter 2. And 1 John's a great book on love as well. 1 John chapter 2. Oh, what a... What a treacherous verse here. 1 John 2, verse number 3. And hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. So, so God says to us, He said, here's proof of if you really care about me or if you really love me. Hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. Now, verse 4 is tough because... A lot of us, we don't like anybody to call us a liar. Right? We don't, just don't like anybody to call us a liar. And it's degrading to call someone a liar. Right? Here's my thought. If they just told a lie, what are they? A liar. I don't care who they are. Even if they were the President of the United States and they told a lie, then they would be called a liar. The Bible talks about liars a lot. Here's one of the places. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, don't get offended at me. God just called you a liar. I didn't call you that. God did. I like verse 5, though. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected or completed, or matured. Hereby know we that we are in Him. And what this is saying is, listen, when, when you have the spiritual nature, when you've had the new birth in Jesus Christ, when you have salvation in your heart, you will desire to follow Jesus Christ. There will be a desire in your spiritual nature to do that. And if there's no desire in you at all to follow God, 
you need to check up on whether you're his child. That's what this is saying. And, and so the purpose of humanity is huge. Now, in your notes, um, we might say it this way, that certain practices make our love for God real. And this is the way it is at your house, right? If you just told somebody at your house, I love you every day, and you did absolutely nothing practical that showed your love, then that wouldn't really be love. Those would just be words. And so, you know, if you picked up your dirty socks or uh, whatever it is at your house. But, all right, so here we go. You guys got really quiet. I don't know what happened. We were having such a fun day here. and um, Loving other people... Sharing God's love, truly communicating with God, enjoying the gift of life in His boundaries, and worshiping Him. So those are some practical things that happen when we really love God. If we just say we love Him, and we don't do any of those things, we are liars. That's what 1 John's telling us. Now, 1 John, if you read the context of what we said again, Um, is that He wants us to know Him. He wants us to love Him. He wants us to become more like Him. If you read the whole book of 1 John, and and John said even at the beginning of the book, and in 2 John and 3 John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And, And so God has made us for some specific reason. Here's what we say next in your notes. If we truly love God, we want to make Him happy. That's true for anyone, right? If you, truly want to, if you truly love your kids, your goal in life is not to torture them. Your goal in life is not to make them unhappy. You want to make them happy. Now, sometimes you have to make them unhappy in the short term to make them happy in the long term. Everybody understand that? We live in this immediate society where people think that happiness is an immediate thing. And it's not. It's a long-term internal thing. It's a matter of the heart. And, and so God, if we really love Him, we want to make Him happy. And you say, well, what would it take to make Him happy? Well, He already told us. And God repeatedly tells us in His Word what it takes to make Him happy. He wants us to love and worship Him out of an authentic heart. That's what He wants. He wants us to love and worship Him out of an authentic heart. Go to Romans 14. I'm going to give you a way to find out what your true worldview is. And I think, as we've said repeatedly in the series, everybody in here would likely say, I have a biblical worldview. But I'll tell you how you can find out your true worldview. Romans 14. Verse number 7. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Listen, if you're a child of God, You can try to separate yourself from that as you make your choices. You can say, well, this is not really a church thing. This is not part of my religious life. This is not part of my spiritual life. You know, anything you do, no matter where you are, who you're with, you belong to God. You're you're the Lord's. If you're His child, there's no decision that's off limits. There's no hidden part of your life that you get to keep separate. Whether you live or die, you're His. And your worldview is exposed by this sentence in your notes. Whatever you believe provides meaning and purpose in life motivates you to action. So you find out what it is that motivates you to action and you'll be able to know what your worldview is. What is it that motivates you to action? And you'll find out what your worldview is. Now, if the only thing that motivates you to action is the things of earth, then no matter what you say, you actually have bought into naturalism. 
If the only thing that motivates you is the elements, things, considerations, and cares of this earth, you are a secular humanist in your heart. Now, I'm going to tell you, in your flesh, we're all secular humanists. In our carnal nature, we all want to be God. In our carnal nature, we all want to be in charge. We want what we want. We're selfish. But the spiritual nature wants to be like God, wants to be like Christ. And, and so here's a statement. It just makes so much sense that whatever you believe provides meaning and purpose in life motivates you to action. Paul told the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ constraineth us. It's what pushes us and motivates us and holds us together in unity. It's why we do everything we do. And if we don't do it for that reason, it doesn't last. I remember people that I've walked with in the Christian faith just over the last years of my life, and even since I've been in full-time ministry for about the last 19 years, people that I've ministered with, that I've been on church staffs with, or pastors that I've known, friends that I've had, who they were in the battle, they were in the fight, but they weren't in it because they loved Jesus. Say, Pastor, how do you know? Because it didn't last. See, if we love Jesus, it's going to last. And we're going to finish the course. And uh, Paul said, I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And so there's a motivation factor in your worldview. And you have to get that to get the purpose of humanity. Then consider also the nature of humanity. The nature of humanity. And uh, you may have this verse up on your wall. Joshua chapter 24, verse number 15. Joshua 24 and verse number 15. You may not have the whole verse, but may have part of the verse. Let's read the whole verse in the context there. Start in verse 14. You should see this. This incredible passage. Joshua is about to die and he's speaking to the people of Israel about what what they're going to do after he dies. And he says in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord. So there's that again. And serve Him in sincerity and in truth. So you couldn't serve Him by pretense. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. Now, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, look at this word. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said, everybody's got a choice. You've got a choice who you're going to serve. The nature of humanity, according to a biblical worldview, says that man possesses a free will. And because man possesses free will, we can decide whether or not to follow God. Okay, so here's the interesting thing about this. This may be the only point of a biblical worldview that a naturalist will agree with. This may be the only point of a worldview, the biblical worldview, that a pantheist or a new age person would agree with. And if you said it to him, well, one of the parts of a biblical worldview is that man has a free will. He chooses what he's going to do with his life. And I say, oh, you know what? I agree with you on that one. I choose not to follow God. And they may not say that out loud. But that's really what they're thinking. And so there's a part of the nature of humanity where man has free will. And that's a biblical thing. Okay, this next sentence explains it even more. If God made us to do what He wants, He would be forcing us to love Him. If God made us to do what He wants, He would be forcing us to love Him. Okay? I want to give you a... Two scenarios here, okay? And say at your house you've got a dishwasher, uh, or maybe you've got a, a human dishwasher, but one of the two. You've got somebody that washes your dishes. And let's say you've got teenage kids, and, 
and they're involved in this dishwashing thing. And if you have to go into the kitchen, or you've got little kids, even, you know, even six-year-olds, five-year-olds, three-year-olds can load the dishwasher. Oh, yeah, they can do it. Listen, if our dog can climb up on the dishwasher and help work on it, then a three-year-old can help load the dishwasher. But um, <clears throat> they don't lick too many of the stuff in there. They always do it when it's not clean. So if you come to our house, you can rest assured. If they licked the dishes, it was before the dishwasher ran. You know, they, don't, they don't like to do it afterward. So, <clears throat> but if your sink is full of dishes, and you have to come in the kitchen and say, okay, you put the dishes in the dishwasher right now. That's one scenario, right? But what if you came in, and you saw that the, the sink was full of dishes, and you went, went out and had to do something, you came back in, and somebody put the dishes in the dishwasher. You know what you'd be thinking? What in the world got into the people in this house? What would make any kid in his right mind do that just because he wants to? And there's a big difference between doing something because you're told to do it and made to do it and forced to do it and doing it out of free will. You know, when your kid cleans his room up on his own, can you imagine how wonderful that is? All right, some of you have never experienced this. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? I remember when, when I was a kid, you know, I'd, I'd fought as hard as I could to get my own room. And finally, when I was in fifth or sixth grade, um, I got to have my own room. And it was on the back of the house. And we lived in Oklahoma, but they called it the Florida room. And I have no idea why. I think it's because it was all windows. And in the summer, it had no air conditioning, which in Oklahoma, that means it's about 95 degrees every night. And in the winter, it had no heat. And so I got, had a water bed, and I turned the water up to like 106, you know. Um, but I had my own room. And I remember occasionally my mom would come out in my room, and she would say, you need to clean this room up. Now, she tried her best never to come in my room, just so she would not have to say that. But I remember there were two or three times, maybe, maybe there might have been two, where I took a day of my life and deliberately cleaned my room without her knowing. And even if I was 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, I was so excited to go in the house and say, Mom, come, come, come out here. I want you to see something. You got to see this. Come out here. And what happened? You know, what did you do? And she'd come out in my room. What? What happened out here? Well, I, I got the bottle of Pledge and a dust rag and a vacuum. And, you know, I washed my sheets for the first time this year. Things <laughs> happened. Miracles happened in this room. Now, it didn't just make her feel good. You know what? It made me feel good. Because I wasn't forced to do it. You know, sometimes when you're forced to do something, you don't really like to do it. How many of your husbands are with me on that? If your wife nagged you to do it, it's not as fun to do it. But if you surprised her by doing it, it's really fun to do. Now, my wife just found out a secret about me. She, she probably never knew that. Um, but if, if you have to put it on the honey-do list, it's not as fun to do. But if you get to do it just because you love somebody... It's a big deal. And so God made us as beings where he said, listen, I'm not going to force you to serve me, but you can choose to serve me. And that's part of the nature of humanity. Now go to Jeremiah 5. Jeremiah 5. We'll finish this up here. Have our last few here in the major prophets. Jeremiah 5. I want to go back to Verse number 20. Declare this in the house of Jacob. Publish it in Judah, saying, this is God talking to his people. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree? They cannot pass it. 
And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. Look at verse 23. But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. By the way, that is a great half of a verse for parents also to memorize. Did you see what it said? Your sins have withholden good things from you. That's a great verse for parents to memorize. Your sins have withholden good things from you. Because here's, here's what happens in modern society. If you don't give your seven-year-old what he wants, mom and dad are mean. Mom and dad are mean. And you keep bugging mom and dad long enough, and mom and dad, okay, he's just going to cry all night if we don't give it to him. How about this? Your sins have withholden good from you. We didn't choose to do this. Your sins chose to do this. But we start the blame game, and then we get into our teens and adulthood, and we begin to blame God when things don't go good. You know what God says? Your sins have withholden good from you. And so we take this concept of, of the fact that God says, listen, you are a revolting and rebellious-hearted people. And we say this in your notes, character always determines behavior. The choices we make spring from who we are inside. Character always determines behavior. I always get a kick out of athletes who do something incredibly stupid, and they hold a press conference, and they said, you know what, it was a one-time thing, it was outside of my character. It'll never happen again. You know, nothing you've ever done is outside of your character. Nothing. Character is who you are. It's your identity. And character always determines behavior. Behavior is not separate from character. We say this next in your notes. Given a choice of holiness or depravity, we naturally choose sin. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. Without the transforming power of Christ, in your notes, we remain adversaries of God. Without the transforming power of Christ, we remain adversaries of God. In your fleshly nature, you are at enmity with God, the Bible says. Before you knew Christ, or if you don't know Christ, you are still an adversary of God. But through the power of His grace, we can become characterized by love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. Okay, so, so through Christ, when people see you, they can see the fruit of the Spirit. It won't be you, it'll be the Spirit. You can't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit without the Spirit. It's impossible. And, and so to get that type of a nature in you, you have to have the new nature. You have to have the nature of Jesus Christ. Let's end in Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. I want you to start in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's another component of the nature of humanity. The more we own the fact that our ways are not God's ways, the more hope there is that we will abandon our own selfish will in favor of His loving, perfect will. The only reason why we do certain things is because we think we know best for ourselves. But God clearly says, you don't know best for yourself. Your thoughts are polluted. Your thoughts aren't my thoughts. 
You know, the best thing we could do in our human nature to say, God, let me pull a Schultz. I know nothing about what I should do with my life. God, you be in charge. I know nothing. I repent of my way. I turn to your way. And when we place those words and that heart together, God can do miraculous things. There is an acceptable, complete, or perfect will of God for each of us. But it's only when we release all of these false worldviews. You have to release humanism from your heart to allow God to rule your heart. It has to, because we, we naturally say, well, I'm in charge of my life, and I think it should be done this way. And who are you? And we just read, God called you a foolish moron. Actually, the word in the Bible is brutish. It means actually stupid. God called you stupid, folks. And He also called you a liar. And if you don't like it, don't get mad at me. Take it up with Him. All of us in our flesh, that's who we are. We need the Spirit of God to live in us. And I'm so glad the Bible says, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Jesus Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What good news that is. Well, let's stand, and we'll be dismissed in prayer. We'll all go home and eat an open-faced turkey sandwich. All right. Uh, Right after we dismiss, outreach just for like 60 seconds real quick with Brother Andrew. We do have service groups meeting tonight. Check in, see who's here, see what's going on. And uh, let's have a great week as we serve God together and also a great month here in December. Father, we thank you for your word. It is only because of your word and because of your nature that we can be exposed to our own nature. And I pray that we would own the fact tonight that in our flesh we are foolish, we are brutish, we're liars. We deserve the lake of fire. And yet, Jesus, you died on the cross to cover that with your blood. You died on the cross to place within us a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Help us to live like new creatures this week. Oh, we ask it in your name, Jesus, amen.